You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number seven. Sharon McRae, dedicated health coach and empowered mom. When it's dinner time, I got something you should try. It's crunchy, green, and yummy, and it's about to blow your mind. It's low on calories, and it looks like mini trees. When you're having dinner with me, broccoli. Dr. Yami Kazorla Lancaster, board certified pediatrician, certified food for life cooking and nutrition instructor, certified well coach, and passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant based nutrition habit formation, behavior change, and motivation so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you keep coming back as a regular listener. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Welcome, Sharon McRae to Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. For those of you that do not know about Sharon, she is a plant-based certified health coach, and she is also a certified Food for Life instructor like me, so yay, it's nice to talk to another Food for Life instructor. Her business is called Eat Well, Stay Well, and I am so excited to ask you a bunch of questions today. So to get us started, I read a little bit about your history and I saw that you made a conscious choice to implement healthy lifestyle habits at a relatively young age. Can you tell us the story of why you decided to do that? Sure. Well, my story originally started when I was very squeamish. And as a teenager, I can remember making the connection between some meat that was on my plate and a news story about cattle that was on TV. And I remember putting down my fork at the time and saying, I'm not eating red meat anymore. And then in my 20s, my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer. And she was in her 40s at the time. And concurrent with that, I had gone to college and decided to major in biology. And so I started doing uh, dissections, unfortunately, in some of my lab classes and started to dissect the chicken and the turkey that were on my plate. And so at that point, poultry had to go away. I was also becoming more health conscious, started an exercise program at that time, Um, really heard a lot about a low-fat diet, so I was trying to keep all my dairy, the low-fat variety. But, um, you know, I thought I was eating pretty healthfully. I started eating a lot of organic food at that time. And then in my 30s, I had met my husband. We decided to start a family. At the time, I was still eating fish, but I was concerned about mercury and other toxicity. And so I decided to stop eating fish and seafood in my 30s. And then in my 40s, my mom's cancer, which had been recurrent throughout a 26-year period, just kept having all these recurrences. And, you know, initially it was just a lumpectomy, then it was radiation, then it was mastectomy, and uh, started with the aromatase inhibitors. I mean, she just had it all. And uh, in her 40s, or sorry, in my 40s, her cancer metastasized. And I was spending long days and nights in the hospital at Johns Hopkins on the cancer ward, which is a horrible place to be. 
And I can remember in one of those days when I was at my most stressed, I heard a voice inside of my head that said, stop eating animal protein. Now, at the time, I hadn't heard of T. Colin Campbell, forks over knives. I'd heard of none of this. And so it was a very strange thing. But I thought, wow, I'm already eating just, you know, basically cheese and yogurt and egg whites were the only things I was eating at that time that were animal products. And I thought, well, that would mean vegan. And that's just so overwhelming. I don't think I could ever do that. I mean, how could I survive? But I decided I made a pact with this voice in my head. And I said, you know, I'll try it for two weeks. I won't tell anyone uh, because I don't know if I can commit to this, but I'm just going to give it a shot. And at the time, my husband and I had three kids. We have twin daughters and they were at the time maybe nine or so. And our son was about six, five or six. And uh, I was a closet vegan for two weeks. You know, my husband would say, do you want to get pizza? And I'd say, not tonight. Do you want to make an omelet? Not, not in the mood for that tonight. You all can have it. Um, and at the end of two weeks, I just felt better. I felt lighter. I felt like what I was eating was in line with my belief system. I didn't have that squeamish feeling in my stomach when I ate anything anymore. And I just knew this was the way I wanted to eat for the rest of my life. So I came out as a vegan. And <laughs> my husband flipped out and my kids cried and my dad flipped out. But we had just lost my mom. Mm. And so, um, you know, fast forward a little bit. Now, I forgot to mention that um, I began a career in my 20s as a molecular biology research technician. And that went on until I gave birth to my daughters, at which point I couldn't go back to work in that capacity because they wouldn't have me part-time and I didn't want to be a full-time employee. So I took a kind of a career diversion and I became a makeup artist for a few years and I enjoyed it. It was exploring the creative side of my brain. It was fun. It was frivolous. But then I started to feel that pulling, you know, that I, I wasn't doing something that was really intellectually stimulating enough for me. And I had this scientific part of my brain that wasn't getting engaged enough. And I started getting these emails from a school called Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And it was about becoming a certified health coach. Now, at the time, I was already known as the food police by all my mm -hmm. friends and family. And I thought, well, this is a chance to get a badge, you know, so I'm going to go do it, make it official. And when I became a health coach, I was going through the training and someone asked me if I had read the book, The China Study by T. Colin Campbell. At this point, I was already eating a whole, you know, a plant-based diet, but it was not a healthy vegan diet. It was a lot of processed foods, fake meats, those sorts of things. I read this book and I find out that casein, the predominant protein in dairy products, is a very potent cancer promoter. And I flipped out and I told my husband, we've got to get the kids off of dairy. And I sat them down. They were 10 and 6 at the time. And I said, look, we just lost grandma. Not only that, but my dad had had uh, kidney cancer and had one kidney. My two grandmothers died of different forms of cancer, one uterine and one liver cancer in their early 60s. My aunts and uncles had cancer. There's some of them are still battling cancer. And so it's all throughout my family. And then my husband's family, his mom is a colon cancer survivor, father's battling leukemia, and his brother uh, had prostate cancer. He survived that. So I knew our kids had the genetic predisposition to cancer, and I didn't want them to ever suffer the way that my family members did. And so I explained this to them, even though they were only 10 and 6, and they cried a lot. And I always say it was like I took away their favorite toy and their best friend all in that one moment because they were scared. 
you know, these were the foods they had eaten. They were vegetarian, I should mention. They were raised vegetarian. So they ate a lot of dairy because their pediatrician told us they needed calcium and protein. And that was where they were going to get it was from the dairy. So they ate a lot of Amy's cheese pizza and frozen vegetables and processed organic, naturally flavored foods that I thought were so healthy. But uh, at that time, I was telling them no dairy, and they were scared. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to make it easy for you. And lo and behold, I went to Vegetarian Summerfest in Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and I met someone who is now my sister from another mister, Chef AJ. <laughs> He's an amazing chef from the West Coast. And um, she had a book called Unprocessed, and I bought the book, and I brought it home, and I started making the recipes in that book, some of the treats, you know, like her raw brownies and all kinds of truffles. And then I started making some of the savory recipes, easy cheesy peasies, and her disappearing lasagna were among the favorites. And um, my kids were loving everything, and that inspired me to take their food to the next level. And then I read the book Disease Proof Your Child by Joel Furman. And realized I needed to get the processed foods out of their diet too. So I did that. And uh, basically my entire family, my husband came on board only after uh, Forks Over Knives, the movie came out in 2011. He was still eating salmon. And I used to find packets of salmon in the trunk of his car. That he would <laughs> you know, so <laughs> he really thought he needed those omega-3s from the fish. And so... At the premiere of Forks Over Knives in Silver Spring, I got Dr. Barnard to talk to him about fish, and that was the last time he ate it. So we've all been on board ever since then. It's been about eight or nine years for us now, and we all feel great, hardly ever get sick. Um, the kids are totally healthy. They love the way they eat. There's no rebellion, even though people think I'm so strict. There's no rebellion. My kids absolutely love it. The girls now are both in commuter colleges and they pack their food. They pack leftovers when they have a long day. They, if they get food on campus, it's fruit or vegetables, you know, salad. Um, and they love the way that we eat. So that's, that's my journey in a nutshell. Wow. And that's what I was going to say. What a journey. That is a very interesting story. And I find it, you know, it's almost a little bit humorous about the part where your kids all started crying. <laughs> no, mommy, jeez. Yeah. Um, which now, because that was eight years ago, even now it seems like there's so many recipes and things it wouldn't even, it's not even a big deal anymore, but probably to them at that point, they were like, what are we going to eat? You know, there's nothing left, you know? <laughs> now they have all these sauces made from cashews and, and you can buy the nut cheeses if you really want to, mm -hmm. but they have so many substitutes. I came up with a pizza hummus recipe so I could still make their favorite pizza, you know, and we just found ways of making their favorite treats in a healthier way. That's awesome. I wanted to go back to the time that you spent doing uh, research, and that was part of your job history, that you were in basic sciences. And you have this really strong family history of cancer. So many of your family members were affected. What is your take on genetics? Once we have a family full of cancer and disease, chronic diseases, maybe heart disease, those kinds of things, are we doomed? No, I don't believe we are. And here's the thing. My mom had the test done um, to see if she had the BCRA genes. And I remember she didn't want to have the test done, but I begged her to have it done because I wanted to know. I wanted to know what my risk was. 
and she was negative, completely negative. And there's no other breast cancer in my family. She was the first case. Uh, like I said, her mother had liver cancer mm. and my father's mother had uterine cancer. So there was no other female cancer in my family that I'm aware of. Um, as far as the genetic predisposition, I think it's probably there, you know, it's probably there, but I, I agree with some of the other medical professionals who have said um, that the genes pull the, tr uh, sorry, the genes, what is it? Genes load the gun and diet pulls the trigger or di not just diet, but environment pulls the mm -hmm. trigger. And mm -hmm. diet is definitely a part of that. You know, people will say to me things like, oh, my 80 year old grandmother ate meat and she ate whatever she wanted, but life was different in her era. The meat was cleaner, number one. And not only that, but she didn't have as many carcinogens in her environment. She didn't have all the chemicals and pesticides. And, you know, God knows what we come in contact with on a day-to-day -day basis in our world today. It's so polluted. The air that we breathe, the water that we drink. I mean, I just found out that our water supply has a higher than acceptable levels of hormones in it. I mean, that's pretty scary stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think back in the day, that wasn't the case. Things were cleaner. We didn't use as many chemicals. So I think that, you know, when I look at my family history, I'm Jewish, and the food that is traditionally eaten in the Jewish culture is horrible. I mean, it's just absolutely awful. It's full of dairy. It's full of cookies and cakes. You know, somebody dies, you bring out the pastry. It's crazy. And, I, you know, I think a lot of other cultures are like that. Certainly my husband's side of the family, not, he's not Jewish. He's a McRae. So, um, but he's got cancer on his side too. But I look at the food that they eat and it's standard American diet food, mm -hmm. you know? So I think, I think the food has a tremendous amount to do with it. I think our environment in minimizing our risks through things like exposure to toxins in the products we put on our skin and on our body, um, you know, the water that we drink, if we can purify it, the, the exposure that we have to cleaning chemicals and products, just overall being aware of these things and minimizing your risk. I think that that's really the key. You know, obviously eating a whole food plant-based diet is not panacea. It's not a guarantee that you'll never get cancer, but it certainly cuts the risk significantly. And so for that reason, I have peace of mind. I mean, I used to walk around, if you can imagine, I was in my 20s when my mom got diagnosed. I took her to get her first wig. I saw her hair fall out. I saw her bald. I saw her mm -hmm. scar when she lost her breast. And it was threatening to me as a young woman at the time. And I remember walking around, you know, I used to work at Johns Hopkins in the hospital doing research and I would go into the bathroom every once in a while, feel my breasts and make sure there weren't any lumps there. Mm -hmm. And I can remember one time uh, my husband and I were newly married and I, I don't know, I ate something, I was bloated and I was convinced that I had ovarian cancer. And I called my doctor. I said, I think I have ovarian cancer. I mean, that's how... Mm -hmm how predominant a thought that was for me on a day-to-day -day basis. And this way of eating and living, you know, exercising every day, um, minimizing the exposure I have to all kinds of toxins, using only safe products on my skin and my hair, that makes me feel like I have peace of mind. I don't go around worried about cancer 24-7, even though I have a strong family history. Yeah, and I think that that's important that – you took that information and you felt empowered that you were able to take control of your health and decrease your risk. And I like that you pointed out that for nobody in this planet, is it going to be 0% risk? We're, 
all going to die someday, unfortunately, and it's going to be from something. So our risk is never going to be zero. However, we can greatly reduce those risks of certain chronic diseases with the diet we choose and the lifestyle we lead. And of course, all these other environmental toxins that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But tell me a little bit about your kids. So you have three kids. So you have twin girls. So they're in college now. And yes. then the youngest is how old? He's 15. So, you know, the initial thing seemed like it was a bit of a shock to them. But once you were able to make the transition, it sounds like from what I hear about your kids, they're proud to eat the way that they eat and they, they don't seem to have a problem. So what is it that motivates them? Do you have these conversations with them? What do they align with as far as their reasonings to stick with this way of eating? Fear. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> fear, fear of their mother. No, that's what they would say. No. Um, I've asked them those questions many times because they've been asked these questions in interviews and for books, et cetera. So all three of them are pretty convicted and um, in their beliefs that you should eat real food to stay healthy. And I also early on showed them the documentary Vegucated because I wanted them to see a little bit about the animal side of things and the, and the impact that that had. Um, I wanted to seal the deal. In other words, I wanted to make sure that when they got older and peer pressure became an issue that they would be able to stand up and believe strongly in what they were doing. And they had never eaten meat. So when they saw those graphic scenes of a deserted slaughterhouse in that movie, it was extremely impactful for them. And I think, you know, they are very, very much love animals and can't stand the thought of anything, you know, any type of abuse. So that's part of it for them. And certainly the environmental impact. Two of my three kids have written reports in school about the environmental impact of animal agriculture. Mm -hmm. So I kind of hit them on all levels, but I think the predominant one that motivates them is still health. Mm -hmm. I mean, they see when we go to visit my husband's family, they see you know, how many medications they are on. They see uh, people not looking so healthy, you know, people that they can recall from their childhood just not looking as healthy as they used to. And so they know that I'm not making this up. And they've heard a lot of the lectures and um, they've come to a lot of talks at Vegetarian Summerfest. And we have a monthly potluck every month and they come to that and they hear testimonials of people talking about their own stories of healing and getting off of medications and not feeling pain anymore and having more energy. So they hear this for themselves. They see it. I think they see it in us too. I mean, my husband and I are both 55 and we're very vital. We have a lot of energy in some cases more than some of their other friends' parents who are younger. Um, so I think they are pretty strongly convicted. And I taught them about reading ingredient labels pretty early on. You know, one of the transitions we made was right around Thank, uh, sorry, um, Halloween, which is coming up right around the corner. And I showed them this awesome video clip by, uh, what's his name, Oliver? He's a, a British chef, Jamie Oliver. Mm -hmm. Watch Jamie Oliver ruin ice cream forever. Uh -oh. I'll never, that clip was awesome. If you have kids on junk food, show them that clip because he comes into a classroom. I think it's middle school or high school students, and he brings in all the fixings for ice cream sundaes. And he has them all make a big ice cream sundae with lots of toppings, jimmies and candies and all sorts of things. 
And then he has a big glass jar in the front of the room and he asks one of the kids to come up and assist him. And he says, okay, we're going to make, we're going to make our own ice cream sundae up here. And he puts beetles and hair and, you know, all kinds of bugs and stuff, really disgusting stuff into this container. And he says, do you know why I have this stuff in here? And they say, why? And he, he says, that's because these are what goes into the ingredients in the candies and toppings that you have on your ice cream. And you see the kids turn green. It was, it's pretty intense. And so I taught my kids, you know, if you can't pronounce it, how do you know where it's coming from? I mean, they have vanilla flavoring that comes from beaver's butt glands, you know, so it's really disgusting. Even if it says natural flavors, don't think it's okay. You know, um, I taught them this early on. So now they read ingredients. I mean, they, they look at stuff, but they know in general that packaged and processed foods are not healthy. And I also made so many healthy things for them and got them involved in the process, you know, cookies and cakes and all sorts of things that are made from whole foods. So they know they're not ever going to be deprived. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. never an issue. Now, I will say there's been a little bit of peer pressure. You know, it's not been perfect. I mean, my son used to get made fun of because he brings a green smoothie and he still brings a green smoothie every single day. And kids used to say, Ooh, that looks like vomit or that, that looks disgusting, but he's a pretty cool kid. And he would just shrug it off. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time he was probably about eight. So he had been eating this way for a couple of years and they had an ice cream party at his school. And I called the teacher in advance and I said, he's lactose intolerant. I just made it up. I said, he can't eat the ice cream that everybody else is eating. Is it okay if I bring his ice cream in with him? And she said, sure. So we had a Yonana's machine and I brought him banana, very soft serve. And we came into school and I opened his up and everybody crowded around us and said, what is that? And I said, oh, it's ice cream. It's made out of all fruit. And they kept saying, oh, that looks good. And I felt guilty because I couldn't share it with the other kids, you know, I'm not, it's school policy. So the other kids got their ice cream and their candies and everything. And they sat there and ate and my son ate his. And after school was over, I said to him, how did you feel today? You know, cause I really wanted to know. I wanted to make sure he was okay with it. I said, how did it make you feel to be eating something different than everyone else? And I didn't know what I would hear, but what I would hear shocked me. He said, I felt proud. Aww. And I said, tell me about that. And he said, well, I was really proud that I knew I was eating something healthy, but I was also really sad because I knew that my friends were eating things that were really going to hurt them. Aww. This was coming from an eight-year-old and he really meant this, you know, so it made me cry. It made me realize I was doing the right thing and I knew I was doing the right thing anyway, but that I wasn't harming him in some sort of psychological way, you know, um, making him feel different. He just kind of did his thing and nobody said anything. They got their sugar high and we watched as their behavior escalated throughout the afternoon, you know, and he looked at me and shook his head and he goes, mom, that's so sad. You know, he knew. Mm -hmm. So my kids have been made aware of this from a very early age. And I think that's definitely helped. Yeah. That's such a heartwarming story. I love hearing that. And I think that also the reasoning for that is the way that you frame things, right? I mean, it, there's definitely another kid that could be eating this way that thinks it's horrible and feels like he's deprived and can't wait to get out of the house so he could eat a bunch of junk food. But I feel like if we are honest with children, they want to be healthy and they want to know and they want to feel empowered and in control. And I think that it's also fair to tell them the reality of the food system and where food really comes from and what's involved in, in making the food. Uh, so I think all of that is 
great information for children to have. And I, I just really admire you for your ability to raise three children like that. What is your take on moderation? How do you define it? And what do you think of it? My son had a great quote about this. And I have to, th I have to think of exactly the words he used. He said, moderation is just a poor excuse for doing something, for continuing to do something you know isn't good for you. Mm. And that's truly what I believe. I think, you know, poison in moderation is a bad thing. I, I don't care if you smoke one cigarette a day. I mean, maybe statistics show it doesn't lead to lung cancer over I, whatever. If it's bad for you, it's bad for you, you know, and you can argue, oh, it's dose dependent. No, I think, I think moderation comes in good things, you know, like, I mean, you can exercise, but you can exercise till you're crazy, you know, till you're drop dead. Um, you know, moderation makes sense to me when it's a good thing, but not when it's something, if it's not good for you, don't touch it. You know, mm -hmm. why do you need to uh, put junk food into your body? It's just not good for you. And if you're putting a little bit in, what's to stop you from putting a little bit more in, mm -hmm. you know, it's addictive, it's harmful. It, it doesn't serve anyone. And I know uh, Chef AJ just did a great talk with Dr. Joel Furman, whose new book, Fast Food Genocide, just came out. Can't wait to get my hands on my copy. Um, but I've read one of the chapters on the brain, and it was just the, the intensity of the words that he uses really, I mean, they have to hit you at some point. And, um, you know, I agree that people will, they love good news about their bad habits, as Dr. McDougall says, and they will do whatever it takes to justify it. And that is where the word moderation gets used most frequently in my experience. That's great. And yes, uh, me and my kids and my mom, we listened to that um, interview on the way home from VegFest last weekend. And we stopped for a bathroom break at a gas station. <laughs> <laughs> On the way through, my kids were like shaking their heads. They're like, mommy, 100% of the items in this food or in this uh, store are junk food. And I'm like, yeah, it's, that's true. But I think yeah. it's important, like I said, for them to, to know. But I also wanted to point out, as you said before, eating in this way does not mean deprivation. So your kids oh. did get can, you know, like uh, cakes and cookies. You just made it from whole foods. It still tasted sweet, but naturally sweetened from fruits instead of refined sugars and things like that. So what are some of the examples of some of those, you know, uh, whole foods, plant-based treats that we may have in the standard American diet that you were able to switch over so that your kids still felt like they could take part in some of these cultural sort of traditions? Well, cake, you know, I made, um, I remember the first birthday day that that we had I made Dr. Furman's chocolate cake which if you've ever made it it's kind of a labor-intensive recipe but oh my god is it good it's like you you cannot believe how tasty that is ice cream you can make very easily with frozen bananas and other frozen fruit you can make a chocolate cherry ice cream with cocoa powder and dates and cherries I mean it's, it's really limitless. My kids get cookies made out of oats and bananas. They get brownies made out of either black beans or now I have a sweet potato recipe. Um, I have a sweet potato chocolate pudding that I make. I make pies. I, make, I mean, whatever you could possibly want, mm -hmm. there is mm -hmm. a way to do it in a healthful manner. Um, AJ's book is fantastic. Straightupfood.com has excellent recipes. Drina Burton, Plant Powered Families, has some great dessert recipes. 
there's just no excuse. I mean, there, there is definitely a way to do it in a healthy, in a healthy manner. Now, if your kids have been eating a lot of junk and a lot of sugar, um, it won't taste great to them the first time they have it, but you just keep offering it and you stop offering the junk. That's the key. And a lot of parents will say to me, Oh, but my kid goes to parties and I can't control what they eat. Well, to a certain extent, you can't control what they eat outside of the home. I did because I would talk to the hosts or the hostesses and I realized I got involved. I didn't, I didn't believe in um, letting your kids make their own decisions when they're that young. They can't make an informed decision at seven. They just can't. They don't know enough. They know what you give them. You know, they're not going to learn this in school. The school system's going to teach them based on the USDA guidelines. They're not going to give them the information that you have as an informed parent. So I didn't trust my kids to be able to make an informed decision. I made it for them. And I was a little more controlling perhaps, but I, in retrospect, I'm really glad I was. And no, I don't get any pushback. Maybe my kids are freaks. I don't know, but I think they're pretty normal and I don't get any pushback. Um, they would go to birthday parties and I would bring them their own cupcake or whatever it was, or I would tell the parents, you know, my kids have just eaten lunch. You know, they don't need any pizza. Um, you know, I, I always found a way. And when their friends came over here for play dates, oh, that was so much fun because I would make my black bean brownies. I would make my kale smoothies and the kids would love them. And then when the parents came to pick them up, I would say, um, by the way, your son had some black beans and kale today. And they would look at me like, what? You know, and I <laughs> give them the recipes and say, really, they enjoyed it. And my son's best friend is Indian. And I think his mom makes the best food in the world. Uh, but he loves my food, you know, so I'd make him chili and stuff like that. And he just loved coming to my house to eat. So uh, it, it all depends on the example that you set as a parent. And I think what you said is so important, explaining to your kids, giving them credit for having a brain and being excited about being healthy. You know, if you model it in a very positive way and not act like, oh, you're going to be deprived now because you're going to go to this party and you're going to feel so uncomfortable because everyone else is eating a food that's delicious, but you can't have it. I mean, if you act that way, you don't even have to say it, but if you act that way, they'll pick up on that and they will put up a fuss. But if you act excited and say, hey, you know, we're going to have this pudding instead. I have a treat for you, you know, whatever. Um, they'll get excited about it too. So it starts with you. Exactly. And that's what I found too. I think kids just, just like the rest of us, they want to feel like they can participate. And as long as they have their own thing, I don't, my kids have never complained. They just, I mean, a treat is a treat to a kid, even if it's just whole food plant-based treat. I mean, they still, you know, they, they're completely fine with it. Uh, so that's great. So going back to what you said, I want to talk about habits for a family. What are some of the habits that you guys have had in place to support these healthy lifestyle goals? I'd say one habit is we always have a salad in the fridge. We always have, and I, my kids know, like about twice, three times a week, they're going to hear me say, somebody make a salad, please, you know, because we, we buy a lot of packaged things or I pre-chop a lot of things. So all they have to do is mix things together and then use the ulu knife to chop it up. Um, but we always have salad on hand. We always have a fridge full of vegetables on hand. We always have sweet potatoes on hand. So habit in terms of what we buy, in terms of what's always in stock in the house. Um, Another habit, let's see. Well, we don't go to a restaurant unless we've called ahead and made sure that the food that they will serve us is 100% plant-based and no oil, sugar, salt. So that means we don't go out to eat a lot. 
But when we do, we always take that precaution. Now we're more on the road and we're traveling, which we do a couple times a year to visit my husband's family up north. One of the habits that we have is we stop at Whole Foods markets along the way and we get salad. Every time we go to Whole Foods, we get another salad. And the kids actually love it because unlike the salads at home, they get to create their own. They get to build their own with whatever they want on it. So um, I never hear any complaints about that. We always keep frozen vegetables in the freezer. My kids know how to make those. We have two Instant Pots in full use at all times. And then we have more downstairs that I use for classes. Um, they know how to use the Instant Pot. They can make beans. They know how to make sweet potatoes. So um, I guess one of the habits is getting them into the kitchen, teaching them the skills so that they know how to make a meal and meal can come together. You know, I used to have a situation where I would teach a class and they would kind of, I would have to make a dinner for them um, on my way out to make sure they ate well. Well, now I can just say to them, hey, there's vegetables in the freezer and I've got some beans already made, but you can make some if you want. And um, you can have vegetables and beans and then you can make whatever grain you want in the Instant Pot. And so I know they have a meal. You know, so um, I guess getting them into those, into that independent thinking is another habit that we have. But that's pretty much it. Um, I don't keep any unhealthy food in the house. So uh, they kind of eat whenever they want to eat. I don't, I'm not strict about saying, oh, you can't snack. You know, and kids, the teenagers are growing rapidly and they have a much bigger appetite. And so I don't have to worry about that. Um, and we all try to eat dinner together, but that doesn't always happen now with the girls' schedules. My husband gets home late pretty much every night. So I, I could before say it was a habit to all sit down at dinner together, but I can't say that anymore. So um, when we do get to enjoy a meal together, it's very special. Oh, that sounds great. And I want to highlight what you were saying about the foods you eat. It sounds very, very simple. And I think a lot of people feel like they have to make these gourmet, five-course meals, make something new every time. And really, I just want to tell the parents out there, you do not have to do that. It can be just as simple as what Sharon was saying, sweet potatoes, rice, black beans, whatever kind of beans, rotate the beans, rotate the grains. It can be so, so easy, right, Sharon? Exactly. It, you know, for me, I was somebody who hated to cook. Before I met Chef AJ and got her book, I hated cooking. And it was because I think I was working in the lab. It was too similar. You know, it was like I come home and have to deal with measuring and weighing. I, I couldn't handle it. So um, now that I'm, I'm getting all these wonderful recipes that my family is loving them, now I love to cook. And that's why I got the Food for Life certification so I can teach others. But when I say cook, I don't mean spend hours making six different dishes for every meal. I do that for holidays. That's about it. But on a day-to-day -day night, it's toss it in the Instant Pot and go. You know, I might have two Instant Pots, one for grain, one for soup. Um, I swear my family would be happy with some kind of an Indian doll every single night. That's our favorite thing. And I have a great cookbook, Vegan Riches Indian Kitchen, that we make tons of recipes from. And they're pretty easy recipes. Anything that's too hard, I won't make. But her, she's got a lot of really easy recipes. And then we have our standard ones like Chef AJ's Red Lentil Chili. She's got a black bean soup. She's got a split pea soup that we love. Um, we have a couple recipes from Fat Free Vegan that we love. I have one of Fat Free Vegan's recipes that I adapted, which is an Indian red lentil soup, and I just added a lot more vegetables to it. We use that one a lot. So we have our favorites, and we use Chef AJ's trick of pre-measuring the spices for our favorite recipes and labeling the jars. So when it's time to cook, it's throw it all in, 
set the timer and leave. And that's a standard dinner. And like I said, if we don't have anything pre-made, then it's throw together some frozen veggies, some beans and a grain and you're all set. You know, so no, our dinners are not complicated. We sound very similar, Sharon. And that's funny because we're both food for life instructors. But whenever I, I teach classes, I tell them this is not gourmet cooking and I highly value efficiency. So if I can't just make it in 15 minutes, then it's too much work. Although I love exactly. cooking and I love holidays, but for regular day-to-day -day stuff, it has to fit my lifestyle. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to continue it. And we can make it really, really easy. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you a couple of personal questions. This podcast does center on habits, behavior, change, motivation. So I would like to know, whenever you had maybe a difficult time in your life and you were trying to achieve a goal and maybe you were having difficulty with it, what was your motivation to keep going and not give up? What kept you going, pursuing your goal, keeping up with that habit? Well, okay, a couple things come to mind. One is for years I struggled because I thought I should be meditating. I knew it was a good thing. I had done a lot of reading about it, how good it was for the brain, how good it was for getting in line with your goals and making the right choices. And I knew I wanted to do it. And I kept dabbling in it in a little bit, but I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So when I was going through my coaching program, part of the program was they gave me a coach. And I remember my coach saying to me, because I had all these healthy habits already integrated at the time. And she said to me, what's one thing you think you could be doing better? And I said, well, I could be regularly meditating. And she said, well, let's work on that then. And she started by setting small goals for me, you know, like how many times you want to start with a week. And I think I said three and, you know, 10 minutes. And so uh, the accountability piece was really, really important for me. And knowing I was going to report into her every two weeks and give her my progress really inspired me to stick with it. And then um, a, a meditation teacher who is just the most amazing thing that's ever happened for me, came into my life and taught me meditation and gave me a mantra. And I've been practicing regularly ever since then. So that's one way. Um, another thing that I personally am still struggling with is sleep. Um, it's the one piece of my health I don't have perfect. And, and not to say perfect, I'm not perfect, but you know what I'm saying. Yes. It's the one thing mm -hmm. I have not really worked on, on fixing. And my family is extremely nocturnal. I grew up with a very nocturnal father who still is very nocturnal. He's eating at two o'clock in the morning. He's 80 years old. You're never going to change him. But he, you know, he's up like he gets up at, um, he goes to bed at four and wakes up at nine and he naps throughout the day. So wow. he's got a crazy lifestyle. My husband is extremely nocturnal and often gets less than five, you know, six, five, six hours of sleep is his max which is very stressful for me because I know how bad it is for him. So um, this is something I work on myself. And believe it or not, Chef AJ is the one who's been beating on me about this. And she'll say, you know, you really need to get to bed. You really need to get to bed. I tend to get very wound up and my classes are generally held at 7 to 9 p.m. And then I get home and I'm, you know how you get that adrenaline mm -hmm, after you teach mm -hmm. class? I get all wound up and I get online and I start looking up things for them and sending them resources. And, uh, and, and that's really not good for me personally. So I am working on that right now. And one of the ways in which I'm doing it is to sort of coach myself and say, OK, 
okay, first I made myself aware. Why is this important? I did the research on the circadian rhythm and how the microbiome, microbiota have their own circadian rhythm and when you digest better and, you know, all these things that are important and the, um, the, the evidence that talks about brain, you know, how our brains detoxify at night when we're sleeping and the amyloid is cleared from those plaques that are implicated in Alzheimer's. So all of these things, memory, um, mood, you know, all these things are linked to sleep. And so I'm trying as hard as I can right now to set goals for myself. And, you know, I'm, I have to ease back because it was going to bed at one, two o'clock before. So now 12 o'clock is my absolute deadline have to be in bed and I'm working towards 11 and then I'm going to keep going backwards till I get to a comfortable place. I'd love to be able to say my bedtime is 10 or 1030. Um, but that's going to mean a major dramatic shift. And I'm one of those moms, even though my kids are 18 and 15, if they're up, it's still, I have this second sense that, you know, I can't go to sleep yet. So he's up in the house. I can't go to sleep yet. So I'm working on that. So I'm still a work in progress with regard to the sleep. All the other things, the diet, I pretty much explained. That was, that was mm -hmm. not exercise came along with my mother's diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think all the other things kind of, you know, uh, I was a makeup artist. Like I said, I was working for a company that wasn't necessarily the health, most health conscious company. And I only learned that when I went to my doctor and he said to me, I'm really concerned that you're, you're working in the cosmetic industry. And I said, what are you talking about? And he started to talk to me about endocrine disruptors. Mm -hmm. and it kind of blew my mind. I learned about EWG, the environmental working group and the skin deep database, which talks about, you know, all the possible ingredients that are carcinogens and mutagens and allergens and all sorts of things I was working with. And that was when I got very conscientious and started to make the shift towards safe personal care products. So it's all kind of had its own evolution. Yeah. Well, I love that. And, and I love how you pointed out how you're trying to remember your motivation for going to bed earlier, thinking about your yes. brain and detoxification and the health benefits, because when it is something that's difficult, sometimes we have to keep reminding ourselves of why we want to do it. Well, what about the opposite? What habit are you most proud of and how did you achieve it and how do you maintain it? What am I most proud of? I guess I'm most proud of the way that I eat and the way that I feed my family. And um, again, it was, it was an evolution. I, didn't I, I so admire the many clients I have who really just read a book, see a movie, hear about something and jump in a hundred percent. I did not. It was a very gradual evolution. Um, and refining it over the decades. Um, and the way that I continue to maintain it is I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly exposing myself even to some of the same lectures I've heard over and over. You know, AJ gives me a hard time and says, why do you like to go to these medical conferences? They're so boring. And I say, well, you know what? Even if I've heard T. Colin Campbell speak a million times, every time I hear him speak, I learn something new. Mm -hmm. You know, I learn a lot from all the giants, Dr. McDougall, Dr. Furman, Dr. Barnard, Dr. Greger. I learned so much from all of them. And I listen to their lectures and their talks on YouTube and I share them with my meetup groups. And um, so I'm constantly learning, constantly reading the new books that come out, just constantly feeding my brain with my why, you know, mm -hmm. and, and um, I think that that's one of the things I talk to my clients and my students about is you really need to find your personal motivation. I mean, saying I want to lose weight 
okay, why? Why do you want to lose weight? What, what's, what's so important to you that you have to be thin for? You know, what is, one of the things I heard recently that really resonated with me was to ask yourself, what do I feel is my purpose in this life? Mm-hmm. And how is my current lifestyle impeding my ability to do that? Mm. Now, that's a pretty deep question, and it makes you dig deep. And uh, for me, my purpose in this life is to inspire and empower other people to take control of their health, not to suffer um, needlessly the way my, so many of my family members did. So if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to inspire other people, I have to walk my talk. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be the best version, the healthiest, most vibrant version of me that I can be. Mm-hmm. And so I owe it to the people I'm trying to inspire to really do the best that I can so that I can then share it with them authentically. Oh, that's so beautiful. And that leads into my next question is what is your motivation for doing this work? You are very active. Like we're going to talk about your meetup group. You have immersions that you do food for life instructor. You're a health coach. So you're busy plus your mama. So you're doing a lot of different things. Some days I'm sure a lot of us are like, ah, Some days it feels like a lot of work. Maybe you don't want to do it. What motivates you to keep showing up? My mom. My mom was my best friend. And um, I think about her pretty much every day. Mm. And I always ask myself, why did she have to die like that? And why did she have to suffer? I mean, she suffered for 26 years. She survived many bouts with cancer, but she always lived like the other shoe was going to drop. And I can't let that her life be in vain. I feel like I have to, I have to take that and make it a positive experience. And I liken it to something else that was tragic in my life, which was that when my husband and I decided to start a family in my early thirties, I had four miscarriages prior to having success. And uh, I remember I kept asking myself, why is this happening to me? I'm somebody who always took such good care of myself. I exercised, I ate well, at least I thought I did. Um, And my friends were popping out babies left and right, and they were the ones who partied all the time, didn't exercise. I couldn't figure out why it happened. It turned out I had an immune issue. My immune system was too strong. Go figure that. Um, My natural killer cells could be suppressed for me to carry a pregnancy to term. I could conceive very easily, but I just couldn't carry a pregnancy. So I had to have some pretty um, out-of-the-ordinary treatment to suppress my immune system and then ultimately did IVF and conceived my three kids that way. My son was actually frozen, which is kind of cool. But, um, But, you know, so I took that experience and I had to pull something positive out. So I started counseling other women who had gone through miscarriages at the time. And I was doing that work very passionately. And this is the same sort of thing. I have watched my mother die. I watched my father suffer from cancer treatments. Thank goodness he's still alive. Um, I watched so many other family members suffer. And I just need to make something positive of that for me. I just need Mm -hmm. to do that. And I also care a lot about other people and their health. And I want them to feel empowered. So I give a lot of my time uh, to answering questions on Facebook, Mm -hmm. on email. I get calls. I get texts. I get Facebook messages, and I'm almost compulsive. If I see a question, I have to answer it. I'm just driven 
to answer it. And my husband will say to me, like if the day before my immersion, I remember somebody, and our immersion is a one-day conference that I co-host with a local plant-based physician, Dr. Dana Simpler, and it's a really big event for us and takes months of planning. And the day before, as you can imagine all the craziness that was happening, somebody sent me a list of questions and I literally sat there. I remember telling my husband, I have to do this. I just have to He's looking at me like, what are you doing? Why are you using your time to answer these questions? I just have this compulsion. It could be that I spent many years as a technical specialist working for a molecular biology company after I got out of the lab. And my job was to answer the phone and troubleshoot experimental problems and questions with, you know, problems with reagents, et cetera. And so I was always like the answer grape, so to speak. I always had to give the answer. And if I couldn't, if I didn't know the answer off the top of my head, I had to research it and find the resource. So I'm, I'm very driven that way. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you've experienced so much pain and suffering and lots of tragedy in your family and personally, but so much bright light has come out of it. So I'm just really, really grateful that you do the work that you do and that you're taking this and changing it into something that helps other people so that it can minimize their suffering or even, you know, avoid potential problems in their health so that it can reduce the suffering in their lives. So thank you for doing that work, Sharon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you do. Oh, thank you. You talked about your immersion. So would you like to tell us a little bit more about what those are and when they take place and how people can find out about them? Sure. So along my path, and one of the things that I think comes out of meditation is that the right people come into your life at the right time. So I was looking, once I got my certification in health coaching, I wanted to get into the medical field. I wanted to do something with doctors where I could integrate what I was doing with what they were doing. And none of them would have me. And um, my daughter was invited to an off-campus gifted, talented program where there were going to be guest lectures. And she comes home with the syllabus and she shows me there's a plant-based doctor who's going to be speaking at this thing. And I went crazy. I said, well, you've got to get me in. I've got to go. She comes home the next day and says, mom, I'm sorry. Parents can't come. And so I said to her, take my card and you have to tell her about me and you have to give her my card. My daughter at the time was very shy. She's not anymore, but she was very shy. And I didn't know if she would do it, but she did. And she connected me to Dr. Dana Simpler, who is now one of my dearest friends and my business partner. And so she and I worked together throughout the year to do these seminars. We do two-hour seminars similar to the Food for Life program, except that she does the why and then I do the how with the cooking demonstration. It's modeled off of Ann Esselstyn's talk with her husband, uh, Caldwell Esselstyn. It's sort of modeled off of that. And so um, we decided that we needed to do a little bit more. We needed to reach a wider audience, do something bigger. And we thought, well, there's all these other conferences, and we had been traveling to them, going to learn and, and interact with other people. And we thought, why don't we do our own? And we figured we'd call it a one-day immersion, where we would just kind of hit people with all this great information, a cooking demo by a well-known chef and um, exercise breaks. We have a local boot camp girl here and we thought we just hit them with everything. So we started this about five years ago. I guess we just had our fifth one or maybe it was our fourth one. Can't remember, but um, they've been very successful. We've had guest speakers, Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Michael Greger, um, Chef AJ's come to a few of them. We had Chef Del Struf last year. We had Dr. Esselstyn this year, which was amazing. Dr. And then we've had people Skype in. We've had Dr. McDougall, Dr. Campbell, 
Dr. Furman and this year Dr. Clapper all Skyped in for us. Um, and we have great food, you know, plant-based food this year. We had Green Fair Organic Cafe, which is the only all-organic um, whole food plant-based SOS-free restaurant and it's in Herndon, Virginia. They catered for us. So it was a fun day just filled with all of this great information. And like I said, we had the exercise breaks. We had an integrative physician talking about things like stress moderation and sleep and the importance of community. So we touched on all aspects of health, not just the food, but mainly the food. And um, so it's a one-day event. It will generally be held in September, October. We're already working on next year, and we already have our keynote speaker. I'm super excited about that, but I won't say anything yet. Um, and we're just, you know, it's a work in progress. We want to bring more and better to this community, and um, we're excited. We had almost, I think we had over 260 people came out uh, this last immersion, which was September 10th. So That's huge, Sharon. Yeah. Wow. Pretty big. Well, great and, job on that. Sounds like a lot of fun. Sounds like something I would like to attend at some point. Oh, How definitely. can people find out about it? Can they go to your website? Yes, my website is eatwell, all one word, E-A-T-W-E-L-L-staywell.com. And I have a section called Upcoming Events. And you can see, um, you know, the immersion won't obviously be there for another year. But any other events that I have going on will be listed there. Great. And then you also told me that you run a local meetup group and you guys get together for potlucks. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So in 2011, when the movie Forks Over Knives came out, they had a section of meetup that was specifically for Forks Over Knives and you could be given a free meetup group. So I decided to start my own meetup. And it started off, we had maybe 14, 15 people, and we met at a local vegan restaurant. And then it got a little bigger. We had maybe 25 people, and it became logistically uncomfortable with separate checks and things like that. So we decided we needed to find a space. And around that time, I came to Chef AJ's Healthy Taste of LA event, and I met um, the mayor of Marshall, Texas, Ed and Amanda Smith, and talked to them. And they told me they had a potluck that started in their home. And then when it got too big, they went to the community room in their local fire station. And I thought, well, that's a great idea. So I came home. I found a local fire station that said they had a community room. And we started renting that. And then we grew to about 40, 50 people, and we couldn't fit in the room anymore. So I started looking at local churches, and I found a local church, and we, we started having it there, but then we outgrew that space. And what happened at that time was um, the meetup section for Forks Over Knives closed down, and they said, if you want to, you can migrate over to the main meetup.com site, which is a paying site. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to let this group go. It's been, it's been really fun building this momentum. And it's been a great support to the people that I coach and teach to have this community built in. So I switched over to meetup.com and boy, the group just exploded. And now we have over 360 members, or sorry, 1360 members. We're one of the largest Forks Seven Knives group in the country. And, um, and we have a potluck every month, the first Sunday of the month, at a local Adventist church. And we generally have between 60 and 100 people show up. And we always have new people come. It's a great event. I make it very casual and very social. So we have dinner first, and people bring an array of different dishes, soups, salads, appetizers, desserts. I mean, just all kinds of stuff, just amazing food. Every time I love finding the spouses who are dragged along, who aren't already eating this way and saying to them, so how was the food? And they say it was delicious. So that's always really fun and rewarding. So we have the food. And then I usually show a 20 or 25 minute film uh, video clip 
just one of the talks, you know, one of the gurus, um, Baxter Montgomery or T. Colin Campbell or Esselstyn or Furman, one of the gurus and just, you know, some topic that might be of interest um, that might be topical for the time of year or whatever it is. And then we have a little bit of discussion around that. And then we do door prizes and we do testimonials and introductions. So it's a really good way to just get people to interact with each other, to meet each other, to discuss maybe obstacles, and also to share their success stories to inspire each other. My dad always gives his testimonial, which is so awesome. And um, it's really been very gratifying. So I'm excited to share that with the rest of my community and also to encourage those who don't live here in Maryland to look for their own in their community. And if you don't have one, go to meetup.com and just start one because it's such an integral part of making sustainable change. Wow, Sharon, you are a go-getter and you really have created so many amazing things. I will be communicating with you to pick your brain so that okay. I can uh, develop our potlucks. We, I started Vegetarian to Yakima here a few years ago and it's going great, but I, I would like great. to evolve more to that model that you have. Sharon, thank you so much for being on Veggie Doctor Radio today. This was an excellent conversation. So much great information for parents and listeners out there. I really appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. All right. So if you guys want to connect with Sharon, her website is eatwell-staywell.com. And are you on social media as well, Sharon? I am. I'm Healthy Veg Coach on Twitter, and I have a page, Eat Well, Stay Well, LLC, on Facebook. I also have a group page for my meetup group, but you're welcome to join even if you don't live here. It's the Columbia, Maryland, Forks Over Knives meetup group. I co-moderate the Disease Proof Your Child Facebook page, which is where parents can get connected and share tips and recipes and things like that about kids. Uh, and I co-moderate another board called Eat to Live for Optimal Health. So I'm pretty much all over. You are all over. <laughs> Excellent, Sharon. Well, I will put links to all of the relevant um, places that you mentioned on the show notes, and I hope to see you again soon, and we can talk more in the future. I hope you have a plantastic day. You too. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at facebook.com forward slash rocketsurgeonsmusic. Also, for more information on my work, you can find me at facebook.com forward slash veggiefitkids, or you can email me at veggiedoctor, V-E-G-G-I-E-D-O-C-T-O-R at veggiefitkids.com. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast, and contact me if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again, and have a plantastic day. We're having broccoli.
broccoli.